0: Father, we do. Uh, We give you all the glory, and we will sing your praise forever. And during this Advent season, God, we pray that your spirit would come and invade our hearts, our souls, and our minds, that the words that we sing would be also the lives that we live. We thank you so much for the gift of Jesus and the opportunity for us to reflect each year on the incredible love that is shown through his birth and through his life and ultimately his death and resurrection as well. So may your story, your plan uh, through Christ be exalted today. May your word be living and active as we turn to it now. And Father, we pray that you truly would receive the glory from all of our praise and all of our worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, church. I hope you all are having a great second Sunday of Advent Uh, I love the Advent season. Jason did a great job of reviewing just some of the things that are on the schedule here during this time of year. Um, One of the things that I wanted to add to that list was just a reminder that every week at 930 we have our Enriched classes going, and over the next couple of weeks we have some unique offerings for you. Next Sunday uh, we will have a speaker uh, from Buckner that's going to be coming and being able to gather with all the classes that meet there to give you an opportunity to hear not just about how to partner with them and continue to impact the community, but just words of, of scripture and testimony that allow us to really continue to press into what does it mean to live out these gospel truths. And then on the 18th, uh, we'll gather together at 9:30 for a breakfast. We do that once every eight weeks, or we get to come together. We're going to hear some testimonies and some things that God has been doing in people's lives, but also in anticipation for what those classes are going to look like at the start of the new year. Uh, And then we won't have anything at 9.30 on Christmas Day, the 25th. So uh, we would love for you to come and join us there on uh, that 9.30 hour during UBC and Rich to really kind of add value and significance to what it means to be part of this church. So we'll hope that you'll join us uh, at 9.30 over the next couple of weeks for those unique opportunities. And and our emphasis for this Advent season is just a reminder. Our theme is the love of God. Very simple, uh, very straightforward. And when you think about love... Uh, Love expresses itself in a lot of different ways. Uh, Sometimes love is very spontaneous, correct? It just kind of catches you off guard. It's the unexpected. It's the love at first sight. It's just kind of the initial overwhelming reaction of emotions. Other times love is very thoughtful and planned and intentional and organized and well thought out. And you kind of have all these different expressions of love. And I was trying to think of a way that we could try to Articulate that and to see that in a very tangible way. And I started thinking about uh, the, the marriage proposal, right? That that's probably one of the best ways to see the thought out, planned uh, demonstration of love. Now, there are times where a marriage, a marriage proposal can be somewhat spontaneous uh, and, and not necessarily thought out. I mean, that might be some of your stories, you know, where all of a sudden the guy's just overwhelmed with emotions, like, Will you marry me? And she's like, Yes. And it just kind of happens. I don't know. Uh, You don't need to raise your hand, but maybe that's a few of you out there, and that that can be romantic. That can be really cool as well. Uh, But more often than not, I would be willing to argue that marriage proposals typically uh, result in somebody really kind of planning things out and thinking through, okay, how do I really get to this moment to demonstrate my love and reveal my love to the person that I'm dating? And so uh, I wanted to see different examples of this, and so this past Thursday, uh, I spent a good chunk of my Thursday morning uh, watching marriage proposal videos, Life of a Pastor. Um, and, and it was pretty interesting because what you discover pretty quickly is that there's some really good plans out there and then there's some really bad plans out there as well. In fact, one that I will share just very briefly, uh, that, that I thought was pretty interesting was apparently this, uh, this boyfriend and this girlfriend, they go into a gas station convenience store and they're shopping in the back when all of a sudden, uh, the convenience store gets robbed and, and there's this guy at the cashier and he like kind of shows his gun and he cashier has to hand over all the money, and the the robber leaves the convenience store, so the boyfriend and girlfriend come up to the cashier, check on him, start asking about him, and all of a sudden, the robber comes running back into the store because he sees there are witnesses. So the boyfriend and the girlfriend, they run to the corner of the store. They literally are like cowering down on the ground, and the, the robber starts threatening them and yelling at them, and the girlfriend is hiding behind her boyfriend and is in tears, and is just like, panicked and so in the midst of his threatening, the robber goes, Do you guys have kids? And and they're like panicked and the guy says, No, I mean, yes, we've got kids. And he says, Well then are you married? And he's like, No, we're not married. And then the robber puts down his gun and reaches in his pocket and grabs the ring and hands it to the boyfriend. And the girl like doesn't even realize that the whole thing has been staged because she's literally crying and hiding her eyes because she thinks this is how her life is about to end. And he turns, he's like, hey, will you marry me? That would fall under the bad plan category, okay? That's not, any, any young guys out there thinking about proposals, don't fake a grocery store robbery, okay? Or a convenience store robbery, okay? Now, that being said, for all the bad plans that were out there, there were some pretty good ones and some pretty creative ones, and there was one in particular I thought, this is, this is pretty decent, and rather than share it or, or tell it, I thought I would show it to you this, this morning. I've got a video, but a couple of disclaimers. Uh, for you is when you look at the video th- this is a we kind of chopped it down just for the sake of time you can go watch the extended version later if you feel so inclined uh, but you'll look at it and there's kind of the main screen and over to the lower left hand portion of your screen is another camera that zoomed in on the couple and and so you just kind of pay attention to both but l- let's watch this short video and see a good example of a marriage proposal uh, the reason I show you that video, right, is because you can see a good plan in place there. And when, when you're seeing love reveal itself with a good plan, you see the reaction. I love the, the girl's reaction. It's joyful celebration and praise. And that is the whole point for us this morning, is that when love has a good plan, right, when it has a really good plan, the heart responds with joyful praise and celebration. And that's essentially what we're talking about today. That's really what Advent is about in so many different ways. It's this revelation of God's love, showing us that God's love has a plan and it's thought out, it's intentional, it is good. And our response to it should be one of joyful celebration and praise. Let's take a look at it this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter eight. And we've been in this chapter for quite some time now and over the last several weeks, we in particular have been looking at uh, what it means to live this spirit-filled and spirit-led life. And Paul has really brought a lot of attention to, to the Spirit uh, over the last several passages that we've looked at in this chapter. And again, I wanna connect that to our theme for the year, which is living the renewed life and seeing that when you truly are renewed in Christ, then you are filled with the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit. And as we've talked over the last several weeks, the markings of that Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life is to be living according to freedom, obligation, adoption. We, we talked even for a little bit about how we navigate uh, suffering by anticipating the future glory that will be revealed, uh, and then last week we saw the final ministry of the Spirit, which is this idea of the Spirit pleading for us, interceding for us, uh, that it ways in which it leads us through our time of prayer. And so we've we've looked at all these different elements of the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life. But what we'll discover as we continue through this chapter is that now uh, the conversation on the Spirit will kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, fall into the background. A little bit. Uh, we don't want to forget everything that Paul has just said because it was, serves as a really important context to everything else that we're going to be discussing. But now he begins to shift his focus uh, in the rest of chapter 8 to really begin to accentuate the incredible love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. But before he gets to that uh, emphasis and, and that kind of elaboration on the love of God, these three verses we'll look at today tells us that that love has a plan. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at, verses 28 through 30 this morning. Let's read it together. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, and those he predestined, he also called; and those he called, he also justified; and those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, uh, these three verses are are just so cram packed. Uh, with a lot of different meaning and a lot of different things that I think are worthy of our consideration and our reflection this morning. And so what we're going to do is we're really going to work through them just little by little. Uh, we'll get through it somewhat efficiently, uh, but we're going to really kind of take this almost phrase by phrase to try to really understand a, a lot of what is being articulated here. And, and I'm doing that even because of the way that this passage begins. It starts with that first uh, three words or so, for we know. right? And that word for knowledge means to understand, and, and I love that, and I love the way that Paul is already setting the tone, because it, it serves as an example to you and me that we should seek to desire to understand. My hope is that as we go through this discussion this morning and look at these three verses, we can join with Paul in saying, okay, I understand, we understand his plan, we have a better grasp and concept of it, and we seek to know these things. And that's a huge part of what Paul is going to try to achieve here. Now, I think the other reason I want to emphasize that is because a lot of what follows and what we're going to discuss this morning are the things that are commonly misunderstood. Right? There are a lot of things that are referenced here that we can easily get wrong and misunderstand when we're going through our day-to-day life. And so just the way he begins, for we know, should capture our, our attention, capture our minds to say this is an attempt to understand for you and me today. We want to join with Paul. And be able to say, okay, we know as well. We understand these things as well. For we know in all things. Notice he didn't say in some things. In a few things. In a couple of things. No, in all things. One of, one of the things that we commonly misunderstand in following Jesus is that we can easily begin to think that God is just part of our life as opposed to he is all of our life. And, and we will segment him, we'll compartmentalize him, like we, we will put him in a category rather than just inviting him to everything that we do. And you can see why this is a common misunderstanding. Because it is not hard for us to develop rhythms, develop habits, develop lifestyles that reinforce this idea that God is just kind of part of our lives. Uh, let me just give you a few examples. Uh, think about how busy we are. are. Are we busy this time of year? Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? It's a busy time of year, and, and the reality is, is that it doesn't matter what season of life you're in, doesn't matter what life stage you're in, we all find a way to fill a calendar. Now, depending on your life stage, what you put on your calendar may change from one person to the next, but we all typically uh, have this impulse in this culture to fill it, right? And so for, if you were to take my season of life and my life stage as a young family, I can give you a, an example of a week that you would find with people like, ourselves this isn't an exact representation of our week but it's close but for example you could say all right well on monday night we got baseball tuesday we got piano wednesday we got church thursday there's a school function friday we're going to gather together with some friends maybe you have a gathering over there saturday we're going to do all the things we've been practicing all week we got games we got recitals and then we got birthday parties and sunday we got church rinse and repeat right just over and over and over again and and when you live that way you can see that god's part of my week Right? He's like one of many different activities that I have scheduled. Right? So even just the rhythm of our business. I'll give you another example. Uh, if you think about finances for a little bit. I'll never forget the time that my mom sat down and showed me how to balance a checkbook, right? which dates me a little bit uh, because we don't have checkbooks really anymore. Some, some of the younger ones are like, what is a check? Uh, but I remember sitting down and her teaching me that and I thought, man, this is awful. I don't ever wanna have to do this. And praise Praise God that we have a lot of technological advances. That's not really necessary anymore because paying bills can be such a hassle. But now we have this incredible option to have automatic bill pay and just to get on there and organize it all to where you don't even have to think about paying your electric bill. It just happens. And somewhere along the way with these advancements in technology, churches were like, well, we should do the same thing for our, our tithes and for our offerings. We should just allow people to have the chance to do this automatic bill pay. And there's a true convenience there and there's a true value there. But what can happen is that the next thing you know, we give our tithes and offerings without even thinking about it. And and this act of worship is not only not on our radar, it's on the equivalent of paying Atmos energy or your electric bill. It's just one more thing you're paying. You think about your time, how you spend your time, how much time you spend on a screen, in front of a device, uh, at work, at school, in friendships, in conversations, in relationships, can compare all of that to the time that you spend in the word or the time that you spend in prayer. My point is this, okay? Listen, what I'm not trying to say is like, quit all your activities and never give online and quit hanging out with people, right? Like, I'm not saying that, okay? The point, the point is that it's easy for us to develop these habits in these lifestyles where we instinctively just see God as part of our life. He's an afterthought. When in reality, we should do all these things, right, we should feel like, but we should infuse God into all of it. That he's a part of our activities, he's a part of our interests, he's a part of our finances, he's a part of all of it, he's a part of every single relationship. God is in all things. We understand that it's not just part of my life, it's all of my life. It is not just some things, but all things. And the reason we need to know that is because what that tells us is that God is at work. (laughs) We know in all things, God works. See, a lot of times the other common misunderstanding that we fall victim to is that we will begin to think that God is not at work. And there's a lot of different reasons that people might come to that conclusion. Right, some people don't believe God is at work because they don't believe there's a God. And so obviously, he's not behind any of this stuff. Some people would say that God's not at work because when you look around at the events of the world and you see so much tragedy, you see so much hardship, so much corruption, you think, well, there's no way a good God could be behind that, so that can't be his doing. But I think for a lot of us, I think for a majority of us probably, the reason we don't think God is at work is because we find him to be too small. Right, God, God doesn't find himself worried about all the details, that's, that's too much for him. He's only worried about the important people and the important events. Right, he's not in all things. He's not working in my life. And the minute that I think he's not working in my life, then I exclude him from my life and it's not about his plan, it's about mine. And me living according to my desires and my wants as opposed to his. Right, and so we need to again understand that in all things, God is at work. like, no matter what you're doing, no matter uh, what you're involved in, what relationship, where you're spending your time, those are moments that God is at work in you and through you. We understand that in all things, God works. Here's where it gets tricky, for the good. (laughs) That's where it gets really hard. Right, that's where it gets again to become a common misunderstanding. Right, things that are misunderstood, because when we inevitably go through life, we're going to see a lot of things. We're going to encounter a lot of things that don't seem good. Right, there's there's uh, news stories. Right, there's one on the news right now of a ter- ter- terrible tragedy that's taken place in our community. And it's one of many events that you can find by watching the news that reminds you of evil and violence and corruption. And whether it's something you see reported in the news on a TV screen or something you experience in your own life, your own hardship, your own difficulty, your own grief, your own sorrow, whatever it is, whatever burdens you're carrying, there are so many times in life where what we're experiencing, seeing, or observing does not seem good. And so it's one thing to say, God's at work. It's another, say, another thing to say he's working for the good. And the reason we need to recognize that, and the reason we need to think a little bit further on it is because it's going to press us and challenge us to really wrestle with, well, what do we mean by good? Right? What does what, what that goodness look like? And we'll get to that here in a moment, but at least at this stage, what I want us to hear and see is that part of what Paul is saying, keep it In the context of what we've been discussing the last several weeks, when he talks about joining in the sufferings of Jesus, right, and and praying with wordless groans, that when you're in those moments and you're you're overwhelmed with suffering, you don't even know what to pray for, your spirit is groaning. You can trust even then that what God is working within you is for your good. That those tears are not wasted. Right, that hardship, that pain is not pointless, and it's actually achieving something good within you. Right? And we'll get to that definition and that depiction of what exactly is good. But notice how Paul continues We understand, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Right? Now, this is another important question for us to consider this morning. What does it mean to love God? Right? The way we see Jesus define that and explain that to us in the Gospels is you are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And so, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, not to, to take us too far off track and just to dive into the greatest commandment in great detail, but just quickly, when, when I think about that, and you think about loving God with all your heart, man, that, that's that visceral, emotional response of love. Right? God wants you to have an emotional response to him. I, I, one of the things that always kind of catches me off guard is we've gotten to a place where sometimes people don't want to be emotional in church. They're like, oh, I don't want you playing with my emotions. And I'm like, well, why? God gave you emotions, he wants you to use them. You're not supposed to like protect them and and siphon them off, like that. there's a, he wants you to feel deeply. Now don't just live by your emotions, but don't exclude them either, like we should be emotional people, look at how she reacted when love was revealed to her, like that's that's what love does, It, it pours into your emotions, you love God with your heart, you love him with your soul. How you pray, how you fast, how you worship, your devotion in your, in your soul. When you think about your mind, you don't just feel deeply. You need to think rightly. You concern yourself with important questions, with questions of doctrine and greater interest and understanding, like you want to seek to understand truth. You, you love him with your strength. You love with resiliency and endurance and perseverance, not just when it's easy, right? This is what it means to love. Now, how do we do that? how do we demonstrate that? What I think is, is really kind of behind Paul's teaching here in chapter 8 is to reorient the relationship with God, right? That those who love God, especially in light of what he's already taught, are going to be those that see God as creator, right? He's already talked about this. He's, part of what he's led into is that God has got a plan for creation, that creation itself is going to be liberated. He is in charge of all creation, and you are a part of that creation. And so you need to orient yourself appropriately to see that he is creator and we are creature. And the reason that's connected to our love for him goes back to chapter 1. Because what's the problem in chapter 1 when it tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness? Why? Why is the wrath of God revealed? Because there are some hearts that exchange the glory of an immortal God for created things. Rather than worshiping the creator, we worship created things. And when we choose to love creation, when we choose to love ourselves or go our own way, that does not result for our good, does it? You go back and read chapter 1, and you read what the wrath of God leads to, the depravity, the godlessness, the wickedness. So the heart that is rebellious is the heart that says, I don't see him as creator, I don't see that he has a plan, I'm going to trust in my own. And I'm going to live with my creatureliness as the one that guides me, rather than trusting in the creator. But when I reorient my heart and see him as creator, and myself as creature, then I can love him fully and trust him as father right so you can see how this progression unfolds right that that is for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose now this is this is where it gets to me again interestingly and can be commonly misunderstood as it pertains to this particular verse when you think about being called to his purpose part of what uh, i want us to understand is that the idea of calling here is not necessarily specific Right, and we're going to talk about this uh, in greater detail when we get to the word predestined here in a little bit. But, but I don't want you to read the word calling. A lot of times when we use that word calling, we talk about something very specific to ourselves. Typically, our vocation. Right, like God's called me to be a lawyer. He's called me to be a teacher. He's called me to be a missionary. Like that's how we often think about calling something very specific to ourselves. That's not what's happening here. This is not a specific calling. And and the purpose that's being referenced here is not a specific, like, purpose just for your life. Now, does God do those things? Yes. Right? Is that what this passage is specifically referencing? Not necessarily. Right? What he's talking about here is that you have been called, again, think about context, think about Romans. You have been called out of the flesh and to live according to the Spirit. Right, that's the calling that has taken place here. God has called you out of the realm of darkness. He's called you out of that godless life. He has called you into uh, living by the spirit, out of the life of the flesh, to live this spirit-filled, spirit-led life because he has a purpose in mind. God has a plan. What is that plan? All right, And that's where you get uh, the more elaborate verse that we're gonna try to take some time to unpack a little bit. For, tho- for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Okay, so, so let's, let's, let's take some time here. Uh, for those he foreknew. <clears throat> uh, again, part of what we need to understand is that this isn't necessarily a very specific reference to all of our individual lives. Now, that is an element, I believe, in scripture. But when he says, those he foreknew, Part of what we're talking about is God's overarching purpose and what's about to come later in this verse. So imagine for a moment, to help explain this, imagine for a moment that you are a Jew in Rome and you're in this church. And your whole life you have been told and you have been taught to believe that Israel is God's chosen people, you are the holy nation and that the Gentiles are to be excluded and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're in church with Gentiles. And, and you've been taught your whole life right, that the Messiah is coming to establish his kingdom right for Israel, he's gonna set Israel free and all these different things. And next thing you know, you hear that the Messiah was actually killed by the chief priests and the elders. So, so what you're wondering is, where did it all go wrong? What happened to everything that I was taught? It, and, and your natural inclination is gonna be, this must be plan B. Right, that because Israel was unfaithful, God had to call an audible, and now we've got this new plan in place. And what Paul is trying to say is, no. No, this isn't plan B. This is not a response to Israel's rejection. God foreknew this. Those he foreknew, including the Gentiles, including Israel, he always knew this was going to happen. This was his plan from the beginning. We can substantiate this with some other passages of scripture. You look at 1 Peter 1.20, it says he, he meaning Jesus, Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. Take that in, right? But before anything came into being, Jesus was in mind. Ephesians 1.4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God foreknew that his plan was that in Christ he was gonna take humanity and make us holy and blameless in his sight. This was always in his mind. That's what he foreknew. Those he foreknew. He had an awareness of this before it even began. For those he foreknew, he predestined. Okay, let's take a moment. Let's talk about this word, predestined, okay? Because here's what can happen. You get to a passage like this, uh, and you take that word predestined and you can hijack it and take it into uh, this debate and this discussion that is pretty common uh, within Christendom, within Christian history, within churches, uh, which is the question of predestination versus free will. Sometimes it's, it's referenced as Calvinism or Reformed theology. Or Arminian theology or choice, right? There, there's all these different ways that can be described and discussed. And so there is an impulse for people to, to, to read this verse and go, all right, there's the word predestined, God predestined, boom. Case closed, it's settled. And they take it into that debate and they, and they use it in a different context. And I want to try to unpack that for a moment, okay, just since we're on the subject. One of the things that I want to, to share with you, whenever we have this conversation of does God preordain everything, does he predetermine everything, or is there an element of choice? One of the things that I think we have to guard against, and I, I first got this from C.S. Lewis, I think he references this in his book, Mere Christianity, is that one of the things the devil loves to do is give us two choices is make it, and make us think it's one or the other, when in reality the truth is often somewhere in the middle. And and there's a lot of reason we need to guard against things like that, right? Because if you think about it, it, politics would be a great example. When you have two choices of something and you have to declare for one, what you typically do is you make your choice and then you have a tendency to villainize the the opposing view, right? So you may sit there and think to yourself, all right, I'm gonna be Republican. And that's not just because of me wanting to be Republican because I can never be a Democrat, right? Or you may sit there and be like, all right, I'm a Democrat. And it's not just because of what I believe, because I could never be a Republican, right? And there's a, there's a villainization of the opposing view. And a lot of that is because we paint these extreme characterizations of the opposing view that oftentimes are, are divisive and misguided. So take this into this discussion of predestination and free will. Here's what typically happens, right? A lot of times what you find is that folks are going to be on the Armenian free will side, And they're going to start thinking about the the intended implications of God predetermining everything. And they're going to say, well, if you believe God predetermines everything, then that makes God the author of evil. All those tragic events that you're seeing unfold on the news, every terrible experience, God is orchestrating every single one of those moments. And he's the author of evil. And oh, by the way, if he's in charge of everything and everything's predetermined, then why would you pray? Why would you go on a mission trip? What's the point? Right, and they, they, they have this kind of extreme characterization of things. On the other side, you know, if you're Reformed, you're Calvinist, you believe in predestination, you're going to look at those that are and those that believe in free will, and you go, okay, so if it's all about choice, then where's God's sovereignty? Right, and in this situation, God's not in control. He's just sitting up in heaven, fingers crossed, hoping you choose the right thing, seeing if this plan kind of works out the way that he intended. And now you're, you're the one that gets the glory, You're the one that gets to be in control and not God, and it undermines His sovereignty. And so we have these characterizations on either side, and what happens? We fight, and we divide, and we don't affiliate with one another, which is exactly what the devil wants. And the reality is, the reason it's so sad is because I know a lot of people that would consider themselves free will or Arminian, and they would never sit there and say, God's not in control. They would never, not the ones I know, try to take glory from God. I know a lot of people that are reformed, a lot of people that that really staunchly believe in that, they would never say God is the author of evil. Don't pray, don't go serve. Those things, there might be people out there that think they're very few and far between, and yet we will villainize the opposing views based on these characterizations. And the reality is, from my point of view, is that when you look at scripture, there is a beautiful mystery to behold, right? Like, you look at Psalm 139 and you see declaration in scripture that says, all the days were ordained for me before one of them came to be. And it seems to accentuate the sovereignty and the predetermined plan of God for our lives. You look at things like creation and God saying, do not eat of this fruit, for if you do, you will die. And that's a command that implies you have a choice. Right, why give a command if there is no choice? Because love that is chosen is much more compelling than love that is forced. You look at stories like Abraham and Moses negotiating with God. There are moments where we have a voice and a say in our relationship with our creator. Now, how all of that works together, I have no idea. It's mysterious to me. And somewhere along the way, we grew uncomfortable with the mysterious. And we somehow felt like we need to be able to explain everything about God. Why? He is an infinite being and we are finite creatures. So rather than trying to debate and argue over the mysterious, why don't we gather together and just behold it and marvel at it and yet it be, let it be a reminder that He is creator and we are not. Here's my point. That was a little brief aside. This discussion of predestination, right? There's a mystery to it. Don't hijack this word in this verse and infuse it into that discussion because you miss what's being said. This is not him saying that God has predetermined everything in your life. This is not a verse that's gonna say, today at 11.55, you're gonna turn left on Berry Street, turn on the radio, and your favorite song is gonna play because God predetermined it. Now, maybe... Maybe if there is a period right after this word, maybe we could start to consider bringing it into that sort of dialogue. But what Paul does here is he actually explains to us what God has predetermined. And that's the part that people miss. Right? He actually tells you, here's what God has predetermined. He foreknew and he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what he's predetermined. And that is, is what is good. That's what makes his plan so incredible. Right? That is the the predetermined script that has been laid out for your life, that he has designed you and intends for you to be conformed into the image of his son. That's the plan. And so now connect this discussion with everything that Paul has been saying over the last several weeks that we've been talking about. Right, when you think about suffering in particular, right joining with Christ in his sufferings, when you think about those moments of having those prayers of wordless groans where you're overwhelmed, you don't even know what to pray for, Paul is saying those moments can be used for your good because they can actually conform you into the image of Jesus. And so when you see God take on flesh and dwell among us, And we see the Advent season pointing to this this idea that God wants to reveal who he is. Part of what he's saying is, I'm going to show you what I want you to be conformed into. I'm going to give you Christ so that you can see how I want you to respond to suffering. Because what does Jesus do when he encounters the most incredible moment of his life, overwhelmed with suffering? He falls on his knees and he says, take this cup from me but not my will, yours be done. And in that, we now have an example that shows us that if we are going to be made into the image of Jesus, if we're going to be conformed, if we're going to be given the mind of Christ, as Paul says in Philippians 2, then when we also encounter suffering, hardship, struggle, trial, whatever it is, we can fall on our knees and we can ask God, please take this from me, but not my will, and yours be done, and in those moments, you're being conformed into Jesus, and it's for our good. And it's not just our suffering, right, church? It's in all things. So, in moments of good fortune, of blessing, with finances, with every relationship, everything that we have, we have these moments and opportunities to be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's His intent, that's His plan. So when we see and understand that in all things God is at work for our good, that if we truly see him as creator and depend upon him, knowing that his purpose was to call us out of the flesh and to live by the spirit, that he has predetermined and knew this from the very beginning, that all those moments could be opportunities to make us more like Jesus. And the more we do that and lean into that, the more we become aware of his incredible love. Now the way that we see this very quickly as brothers and sisters that I think is important is that in this life, right, in this life, the conforming to the image of Jesus really is connected to having the mind of Christ Correct? Like if you think about all that Jesus demonstrates, he shows us how to encounter not just suffering, but how to encounter the poor, how to encounter the hungry, how to heal, how to teach. He shows us all these different things, which means every opportunity we have in this life allows us to be conformed to the image of Christ. But Jesus does more than just walk this earth, right? He leads himself to the cross, giving a death of sacrifice that allows us to find mercy. And then upon the resurrection, what do we see? we see the resurrected, glorified body. And this is part of what Paul has already talked about with creation groaning, waiting to be set free. We groan too because we're awaiting the redemption of the body. So in this life, we're molded by having the mind of Christ, but once we pass through death, we're actually gonna be conformed to have a similar body of Christ, a resurrected body of Christ. And so Jesus has gone first, He's the first fruit. He's the firstborn. But as we are made into his likeness, we become brothers and sisters. And that's what Paul is referencing there. And so verse 30 essentially becomes the summary statement, right, that essentially those he predestined, he he is predetermined for us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And those he has predestined, he has called. He has called you out of the flesh and to live according to the Spirit. And those he has called, he is justified in Christ. He is made right because of what he has done through Christ on the cross. And because of what we see in Christ through the cross, through the resurrection, we know that he is leading us into ever increasing glory. For those he predestined, he has called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he will glorify. And as we see again, church, this plan, this journey of following Jesus is on a path towards glory. And we can trust it and we can see that it is good. And that's what Paul is using is the groundwork and a foundation to lead us into this incredible articulation of his love. And to me, that's what Advent is all about. That's my hope for you. In the midst of all the busyness, all the schedules, all the things that are gonna be on on your mind and, and on your list of responsibilities of do's and don'ts over the next several weeks, that you would see that God is not just a part of those things, he's in all of it. And every single one is an opportunity for you that as we go through this busy season, we think about what we're celebrating. We are celebrating a God that took on flesh and was born in a manger. And with that, it reveals that our God who is love has a plan and he has you in mind and in this great plan he has designed it so that you can navigate the deepest valleys and the greatest mountaintops in a way that allows you to be conformed into the image of the son that he loves so that you can step into an eternal glory. (laughs) And you, you may look at this plan and go why would he do it? Why would A God take on flesh and dwell among us and do such things? And the answer is simple, because he loves us. Love has a plan. And it is a good plan. And so this Advent season, may we also respond with joyful celebration and praise because he loves us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you. And we are so grateful that you love us. Father, we recognize that there are so many things that we misunderstand, things that we get wrong. And Father, we pray that you would allow us to seek to understand. Father, that if there's any heart in here today that is confused, bewildered, distraught, or burdened because they have lost sense or lost sight, of your love and your plan for them, God, I pray that you would restore it to them now, that you would give them the opportunity to respond in gratitude and in faithfulness and in joyful declaration with a love that responds to your love and says, yes, God, we we will commit to you for the rest of our lives to give you everything that we are, not just part of our lives, but all of our lives. And so, Father, teach us to be anchored all that you've done all that you are doing and all that you're going to do that we may celebrate with joyful praise during this time of year that reminds us of your incredible plan that is filled with your love we thank you father and we pray all this in jesus precious and holy name amen and amen